And if you'll turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 2 today, as you've heard, the title of this message today is Get in the Game. Get in the Game Sunday. You know, I think it's probably safe to say that in most cultures of the world, marriage is a very big deal. Wouldn't you agree with that? It really is. And so WeddingIndustryEducation.com published some stats on the cost of getting married. The average wedding cost in America for a wedding in 2019 was $29,200, okay? The most expensive place to get married in America is Manhattan with an average cost of $76,000. And the cheapest place is Arkansas at $19,000. It overtook West Virginia. Wow. West Virginia is moving up in the world, I'll tell you that. The average age for a man to get married in America is 29. A woman is 27. Amazing. The average wedding dress costs, what do you think? Come on, take a guess with your neighbor. Tell, tell your neighbor what you think the average wedding dress in America costs. Yeah, it's good. It's $1,600, $1,600 in America, the average cost. Some of you are like, wow, that's amazing. So about 23% of uh, marriages have a destination wedding, and the most popular month to get married is October, followed by September, all right? And uh, this is a worldwide industry that brings in over $300 billion worldwide. That's amazing. And the average amount in attendance is about 126 people. Today, as we go through John chapter 2, we're going to see a first century wedding. Jesus is invited to a wedding at Cana in Galilee And another thing we're going to look at is this is Jesus' first miracle that he has ever performed. John does not call them miracles. He calls them signs throughout his entire book. We read this, John 20, in our first week together, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe, number one, that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing, right, you might believe, you might believe, and you might have a life in his name. So there's a couple points that he's saying here. You're going you're gonna to see the signs. There's going to be a belief in them, and that's going to bring you a new life in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is selecting miracles. John is selecting miracles of Jesus, calling them signs, which tells us they are power with a purpose. Miracles don't just happen just to happen. They happen because there is power with a purpose, and John uses the word signs. When God is working through miraculous miracles in the ministry, we see this, that they are not only just meeting a need, but there's, there's a greater understanding that he is trying to bring each and every one of us to work in the hearts and the minds of his people that we might grow in the understanding of who God is. So signs lead to believe, which lead to life in Jesus. That's the purpose of a miracle. There are two ways that God works supernaturally. How many of you in this room believe that God still works supernaturally? Can I see your hand? Yeah, 
Yeah, I do too. And so we see the one is called providence. In providence, what God does is God uses the natural course of events in our lives. Why? How does he do that? He uses time. He uses personalities. He uses human decision. And he uses all three of these different things through the laws of nature to bring about his purposes in our lives, his will for our good and for his ultimate glory. The amazing thing about Providence is he's taking 7.8 billion people on planet Earth today, and he's working in all of their lives in situations to work with nature to bring about a conformity to his will and purpose. That's God's providential working, which is very supernatural. We see that in this story today. But then there's a second work of God, and that is miracles, where God interjects his power, he interjects himself into time and space, and does so supernaturally in the normal course of the events of our lives. He interrupts the laws of nature. How many of you know God can interrupt nature and do what he wants to do? Amen? We're going to see that today. He interrupts it to do a miracle, and it calls us to say, wow, God is amazing. That comes by way of healing. It could come by way of protection, etc., and so on. God is a God who does miracles. The call to walk with God is a call to a supernatural existence where you and I have the life of God in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're doing the things that Jesus did. He's called us to do those. He's called us to walk in them, all right? Jesus is still at work today. Can I hear an Amen. God still answers prayer. Amen. We read some of those prayer requests last Sunday night in our house party. Here's the problem a lot of times. What we find is God doesn't do what he would have done or what he wanted to do. And there are many reasons to that, according to the word of God, why that doesn't happen. But one of the main reasons we get so caught up in what's going on around us that if we're not careful, we will miss the prompting of his spirit directing us, and it causes us not to hear what God is saying. Many times we're fearful. We're fearful, aren't we? I mean, all of us would say, maybe we felt that moment when God's called us to walk in something supernatural, to do something above us, that we become fearful, and we think, wow, what's going to happen here? You know, uh, but God is saying, I want to heal them. I want to heal their marriage. I want to minister to them in the financial areas. And many times we hesitate. We're questioning if it's God, where in fact it is God, and he wants to move in signs and miracles. All of that is a backdrop as we look at this miracle today. The message title, Get in the Game, comes from chapter 2 and verse 5. His mother Mary said to his servant, do whatever he tells you, right? Do whatever he tells you. And she's saying to them, you need to do it. Get in the game. Wherever he tells you to get in the game, then get in the game. Tell your neighbor, get in the game today. Yeah, I'm speaking to everybody here. I'm speaking to everyone that's here at Abundant Life, sound of my voice, wherever it may be. I see the jerseys that are being represented today. And, um, you know, I heard some trash talking today, too, back and forth. It was between my son and my daughter back at the table, <laughs> you know. Daughter's wearing Green Bay, son's wearing Redskins, so there was some trash talking going on back there, all right? So I heard that. 
But let's read and look at this. John chapter 2, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, it now became wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn it, the water, knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. What an amazing story. I want to give you four principles out of this story regarding the miraculous in our lives. Four. The first principle, do whatever he says no matter where you are. Do whatever he says no matter where you are today. Notice in verse 1, it says on this day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Interesting, John gives us a chronology that is very unusual in the gospel writers, but he does. Because the gospel writers aren't as much interested in giving us a chronology of the life of Jesus. They're interested in telling us stories about who Jesus is according to the theme that God has placed in their heart. John gives us here seven-day sequence. A seven-day sequence, we know that because it opens up as we said in the last couple of weeks, John the Baptist, he's being questioned by the religious leaders from Jerusalem concerning his ministry, why he baptizes, who he is. And then we read the next day that John tells us, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking on the river and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we says he was with two of his disciples in 135, Andrew and John, and they follow Jesus. And then the next day, Jesus calls Philip to follow him. And Philip tells Nathaniel, and he meets Jesus, and he becomes Jesus' disciple as well. We talked about that last week. In John chapter 2 and verse 1, it's now the third day. The third day, it's a week in the life of Jesus. And Jesus finds himself at a wedding feast, and he says his mother was there. Mary is there in the process, and Mary is owning the problem. She is owning the problem, which is really interesting as you look in this, that she's trying to help solve the problem that is taking place. And listen, in that society, for a woman to interject herself was something that was taboo. You just did not do it in that day. But she is owning the problem, so this tells us she's very up close, she's very personal to the issue, and might mean that they might be relatives of this couple. We're not, we don't know that for sure, but Mary's owning the problem. 
Mary's active, she's involved. Remember, we talked about Nathaniel last week, and Jesus said to him, I saw you under the fig tree, and uh, Nathaniel, and he said, wow, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel, and Jesus said, you haven't seen anything yet, and now Jesus is in Nathaniel's hometown. That's why I'm trying to connect the dots. Are you following me today? He is now in Nathaniel's hometown, and remember, in chapter one, he tells him, you haven't seen nothing yet. Why? Jesus knew what was coming. Two, verse one. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus also was invited with his disciples. The miracle takes place not in the church, not at a prayer meeting, not at a small group. No, the miracle is taking place at a wedding of all places. We sometimes think in our own lives, God can only show up and do a miracle at a certain place in a certain time. God is not hindered by anything. What you need to know, there is not a place where a miracle cannot happen, and there is no need where a miracle is not appropriate in our lives. We have to recognize that God can do a miracle whenever and wherever he wants to do it if we are open to see him do it there. Why did Jesus choose to do his first miracle at a wedding? Why? Because if there's anybody that needs a miracle, it's a couple at a wedding getting ready to start their new life together. Are you with me? Come on, are you with me now? Yes, right? You know, so married people, we need Jesus, right? If you're not even married, you still need Jesus. That's why we're providing Excel Conference coming to us. It's a great segue right there, all right? So we need to get in the game. Many times we miss the miracle because we're not expecting that God might do a miracle at any moment. There's a second principle. Do whatever he says in the midst of your problems. They had a big problem in John chapter 2, verse 3. When the wine ran out. So the reason why that is such a problem, it's because in that day, you can't just drink the water. You ever been to another country? And somebody said, don't drink the water, man. And you drank the water? Yeah. You remember it well, don't you? Right? In much of that part of the world, the water was not good. It was bad. So it was mixed with a paste that would create a wine because the fermentation would kill the germs. When the wine runs out, that is a big problem. The people don't have anything to drink. It's a necessity, but also you have to understand in that culture, they've invited the guests to the wedding. It is also a huge embarrassment because of the way that weddings worked in that day. Weddings then were not like weddings today. Our day, you have a man and a woman. They meet, they get acquainted, they date, they get engaged. There, there's the there's the ceremony. There's the there's the, uh, the reception, and and so it pretty much uh, happens. You know, from the time they're saying, "Hey, the I do's right on through in one day." But in that day, it wasn't like that. It wasn't man meets woman. It was parents meet parents. I like that a whole lot better. How about you? How many parents here? I like that a whole lot better. It was parents meeting parents say, hey, you know what? My child should get hooked up with your child and they should come together. I mean, how many of you would have trusted your parents to connect you with your spouse? 
Not many takers on that. All right, okay. All right, that's, that's probably good because I probably wouldn't have either. But it was parents meeting parents in that day that brought their kids together and said, hey, this is a great connection and they should get married. So there would be arranged marriages. It's parents deciding who their son, who their daughter was going to marry. And then the parents made the arrangement. There would be a betrothal, which was a legally binding uh, part of that day. The guy was generally between the ages of 14 and 16, the girl between 12 and 14. The betrothal period could be one, two, or three years. During that time, the young man would be preparing for his wife, learning his trade, apprenticing, saving money, adding another room onto the house was a huge thing in that day. When the wedding came, it was about three days to a week-long feast. They would go through the streets of the town. Everyone knows about the wedding in the town, and there's laughter, and there's dancing, and there's joy that's taking place. And the job of the groom is to make sure that the people are fed for the feast. To not provide for those at the feast is not only a huge social embarrassment, but also on that day, it could result in a lawsuit. Wow, amazing. Because why? It's a shame to you and it's a shame to your family reflects about you. If the groom can't even provide for the wife now, how is he going to take care of her forever? This is huge. This is big. Do you have a problem today in your life where you're saying, I don't know, it's so big. I want to encourage you to do what they did with their problem. And that day was they took their problem to the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have the opportunity to take our problems to the Lord today. That leads me to a third point that I want you to see. It says, do whatever he tells you to do, even if you aren't encouraged. Maybe today you're discouraged. Maybe there's something going on inside of you. There's an inner turmoil. I want to encourage you to do whatever Jesus tells you to do, even if you aren't encouraged. Even if you're not feeling like God cares for you, that you don't even hear maybe the divine yes, that you would be encouraged today to know that God is working. Verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. What is it that, that, that Mary's expecting? Is Mary expecting a miracle? Well, probably not because she's never seen him do a miracle before. He's lived in her house for 30 years. He's never done a miracle. He's getting ready to. And this is his first sign. This is the first miracle that takes place. She's never seen him do this before. What she has seen is that Jesus always knows what to do. I hope you understand that today, that Jesus knows always what to do, even if we do not know what to do. Jesus is the problem solver. You want to know a great leader? It's Jesus. He's a problem solver. You see that in the lives of great leaders. They solve problems. That's who Jesus is. He cares about people. He loves them, and he's going to solve this problem. He always knows the right thing to do. He tells Mary, here's what we ought to do, and you know what? It always works out. Wouldn't you hate to be one of Jesus's brothers? He always knows what to do. Mom, he's ticking me off. He always knows. Why can't you just be like your brother, Jesus? I mean, that would be terrible, right? So, and so Mary comes to him. She's not even expecting a miracle, but she's expecting an answer. And Jesus knows how to solve this issue. And that's still true today that Jesus knows how to solve every problem in our lives. Jesus knows how to solve every problem in your life today. 
Mary is saying he knows what to do, so let's ask him. She comes to him and says, they have no wine. Verse 4. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? It sounds kind of harsh. My hour has not yet come. What, you kind of look at this and you think, what in the world is going on in this passage? Mary has always relied on Jesus and taking care of her and taking care of their family. From this point on in Jesus' ministry, he is no longer functioning primarily as her son, but as her savior. He is the sovereign God. Mary, there is, is understanding the relationship, but understand now it's about ready to change from what she knew it to be. Going from the son to the savior, he's saying, what do we have in common with one another? That is what he's asking her. She's always known, you're my son, but now the relationship is changing. He is the son of God. Notice what he says, my hour has not yet come. He's going to say this phrase seven different times throughout the gospel of John. And this phrase speaks of his future destiny that he is proclaiming as he is doing this miracle. He's thinking about ultimately his death and that this earthly wedding is a picture of the ultimate wedding that Jesus is coming for his bride, the church. And Mary completely trusts Jesus to do what needs to be done. And verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She sees the yes when we see a no many times. When you walk with Jesus, um, you know he's never going to leave you hanging. That's for sure. He's going to take care of you. You know that he has a plan for your life. Jesus has bigger things on his mind than this. What do we have in common? What do we have in common now? I'm sure uh, as you look at this, she didn't understand all of that statement, I'm sure. But she looks at the disciples and says, whatever he tells you to do, then do it. This is a get-in-the-game statement from Mary. This is a get-in-the-game moment to say whatever he says, you just do it. You make it happen. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. He's the best problem solver ever. And here it's changing inside of her that he's, she's seeing Jesus in a different light, not only her son, but now as the son of God. You know, it's, today we understand it's Super Bowl Sunday and Millions upon millions of spectators watch the Super Bowl, right? There's millions reorient their lives for three hours of athletic entertainment that will absolutely consume the nation. And, you know, the onlookers will be fans of one team or another, rejoicing when their team progresses, brokenhearted when their team falters or whatever. But approximately three hours with great intensity, spectators will watch 22 men on a field go to battle the spectators, you and I, we're going to cheer, we're going to boo, we're going to critique and analyze the game as it's being played, right? So when the game is over and the winner's been determined tonight and everything is brought to finality, what will happen? The fans will go back to business as usual with shirts that have not gotten dirty, pants that have not gotten ruffled with no bruises or bumps. It's a big difference with somebody being in the stands of life to somebody being on the field, isn't it? There's something I just want to tell you today. You never have to ask Jesus whether you should serve or not. Never. 
You never have to ask Jesus, should I serve in this ministry? God, should I really do this for the church? Should I really? Yes. It is always yes. I walked up to the tables out there today, and uh, somebody had asked me, do you want, oh, Pam Hedrick, do you want to serve? I said, yes, I want to serve. Sign me up. That should be the answer of everybody, that we come and say, yes, I want to serve. And so that's why we've called this get in the game. Now, you may look at this today and say, wow, you know, on the back, this isn't all the ministries in the church. No, these are the ministries that have the most needs right now, that we are needing people to come and to serve these areas of ministry. So let me just encourage you to take a moment out before you leave here today that, that there are many of you that are serving Abundant Life Church, Clearbrook, and at Stephen City, but there are many of you that are not serving in absolutely any area that today you never have to ask the Lord, should I serve? You should just have a heart to serve and to come and to do his will because you love him. Mary says... Do whatever he tells you to do. Just do it. Just make it happen. Just do what he says. And so Jesus is trying to turn people from spectators into those that are on the field making the difference. And so, so I'm going to ask you today, will you get in the game? See, what many people, what happens is they don't understand is that if we could have, if I would say today 100% of our people, both locations, are serving, did, could you imagine how this could lighten the load of our ministry here at Abundant Life Church? No, no, just imagine. So you say, well, that's a vision. Well, that's a preferred, preferred future for sure. I understand that. But that is really how it's meant to be, that teams are called to serve in rotation, that if all of us were serving in our area, wherever that is, that, man, all of us are serving and doing what God's called us to do. Do you know how this would lighten the load at Abundant Life Church? You possibly imagine that? That way, just not just a few people are serving over and over and over again. It's more easy for them to get burned out. But it's so important that you find where God wants you to be and to get plugged into that area of ministry and to serve because simply you just love God. This leads me to my last point. Do whatever he says, even if you don't understand the process. How many of you know many times we're trying to understand the processes of our life? And I'm not going to get involved until I understand the process. Isn't that our lives many times? Well, I'm not going to get involved with that because I don't understand the process. But Mary's telling him, hey, you got to understand this. Do whatever he says, even if you don't understand the process. Now, do the servants know who Jesus is? Well, very likely they do. Nazareth is nine miles from Cana. So there was some interaction that's going on. People know of one another. The family units were very strong. He may have been at their home before. And if they know who he is, they've known him, they're going to come to an understanding today that they're going to see Jesus perform a miracle for the first time. In verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. The whole idea of purification in Jewish ceremonial law was very big, especially in first century Judaism. It's big in the Old Testament. 
There were requirements. When you have sexual relations, you need to have a ceremonial washing. If somebody dies, there needs to be a ceremonial washing. So they understood the concept generation after generation after generation. So this whole idea of being ritually clean dominates the mind of devout Jews. They get it. They understand it. If you go to Israel and you tour different ruins and homes of the wealthy, there would actually be what's called a mikvah, which is a ceremonial pool. It's not used for bathing. It's used for ceremonial cleansing so that you can be clean. It's symbolic of the fact that we have to be clean before God to be approachable to God. To approach God that you need to walk in cleanliness. So this family has six pots there that hold approximately 150 gallons. Notice this, verse 7. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. What Jesus is doing here is fundamental to the understanding of what's taking place in Jesus' ministry. And John is contrasting the ceremonial jars to the new wine, what he's about ready to bring into the situation. Jesus compares the new covenant to the new wine. After you taste the new wine, how many of you know you don't want the old wine? Are you with me? Are you following the concept that is taking place? Hey, when you drink the new wine, you no longer want the old wine. You want the good stuff. So Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. These pots represent Jewish ceremonial systems that they understood, and Jesus is going to fill it up. Listen. The water cannot help the need of this hour, and Jesus recognizes this. The law can't help you in your need. The law can only highlight how big your need and your problem is. Keeping rules don't make you right, but we get a new righteousness through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're getting that, say yes. Verse 8. He said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. The word draw out here is understood in the common vernacular and language, a symbol of taking water from a well in that day, if you'll study the word. The pots are already full. That's what it says, right? The pots won't help you. What people need is new wine. So go to the well and draw the water out of the well. What's in the well? Water. What's he telling them to do? Go to the well. What are they going to pull out? Wine. What kind of bridegroom is Jesus? He not only cares for his guests, but he does it with abundance and with quality every time. It's the best wine available. What is he saying? Look at this. The whole well is full of wine. What did the disciples have to do in order for a miracle to take place? Do whatever he says. Just go do that. Make it happen. Well, this doesn't make any sense. How many times we say that in our life before we even step in and do what God's called us? I don't make any sense. Mary says, it doesn't matter. Just go do it, even though it doesn't make sense. They don't argue, they don't question, it doesn't make sense, they just get in the game and do what he says, and to their shock and amazement, the well is filled with wine. 
Verse 9, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. So many times we just want to understand. Can I tell you? You can't. Well, I want to understand. No, you can't. Our minds are so small. Our thinking is so small. It's so finite. He's so infinite. Well, I want to understand this before I jump into it. No, you can't. It's not how it works. Here's what I want to tell you. If you can't believe in a good God who is absolutely good, who does good, and does it in an abundant way, if you can't just do what he says, then how will you get the miracle you're believing for today? Get in the game. The result is, verse 11, this, the first of his sign, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. That's a powerful last portion to this set. If you will do what he says, people will see God's power and put their faith in him. So, so let me just ask you this. What's better, filling six jars or filling a well with wine? It's filling the well. This speaks to Jesus' amazing capacity. This speaks to Jesus' abundance, that he's just not interested in filling the few pots that you have, your needs that are lined out. Jesus said, I'm a God of abundance. And let me tell you something. I'm greater than those pots. I'll fill the entire well because that's who I am. Well, I hope you get this amazing capacity of Jesus today. You know, it shows me many times that even in my own life, God's reminded me, John, you're asking too small of me. You're asking too little of me. I'm bigger than that. I can do that and so much more. That's God. That's what he's saying inside of the story. So, so you look at this, is he, he's changing the impossible with his abundance. What kind of miracle merits the launch of a salvation in ministry? He is personal. He, Jesus, Jesus is so personal that he shows up to a wedding in a small town and provides liberally to this young couple who's just getting started in life whose names we don't even know. We don't know their names. That's the type of God we serve. He's so personal to do that. He's so personal to come and minister to you and to me today in our situation. You think, I don't even know if he knows what I'm doing down here on earth or what's going on. But Jesus is so personal today. He comes and he walks into our realm. He walks into our world and the things that we have deficits and the things where we're discouraged, the things where we need in abundance, he's there right now. He's with us. So, so like Mary today, will you own the problem? Will you own the situation? Because we're personally involved because this is really a greater picture of, of God sending Jesus to this earth. That's the whole picture of 
every wedding I perform, I remind the couple, what's happening here is not something that just takes place through a justice of the peace. This is a symbolic moment of God sending Jesus to this earth to save us, the bride and the groom, coming. That we would be washed, that we would be pure, that we would be ready, that we would be clean, that we would do what God's called us to do, and we would step into that type of dynamic today. So I pray today that you would get involved with what's taking place. We understand that you people serve in many different areas of ministry, but uh, maybe it's even outside of here, but um, there's something to be said that you're serving at the very place where you come and where you give your, your tangible money, that you would come and that you would serve the Lord here, encourage you. The worst possible things I, I want to encourage you today is you fill this out as an emotional response because we talked about it. I don't need another emotional response. Jesus is a commitment. More than the goosebumps we feel on the back of our neck. This is saying I'm going to do it. So I'm not going to give you a poor me story, all this stuff. I don't have to. It's about the kingdom of God. You want to serve the kingdom? It's about abundance. It's about you stepping into a new dynamic, right? And us stepping out of the natural and into the supernatural. And so today, I wonder, will will you be the, the people that would say, Jesus, I will do what you've called me to do. Remember, you don't have to ask Jesus whether you should serve or not. He's the greatest servant. You just serve. You just do it. There's many great servants in and through the church. But would you take a step into that? Would you do that today? Would you take a step into these areas of ministry and don't let fear hold you back, discourage them? I don't even know if this church even makes any sense to me. Well, welcome to your new world. You know, life doesn't make sense, right? Jesus makes sense. He's the Logos. He's the reason, right? John chapter 1. So let's step into that today, and would you just do what God's called you to do? Let's do it together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible story of John chapter 2 where you came on the scene and it was your first miracle that took place and Lord God and through it we see you as someone that showed up upon the scene and that Lord your own mother said do whatever he tells you to do Lord you're speaking that word to us today that we would do what you've called us to do, to serve, to serve each other, to serve people, Lord, in this community, to serve people in our homes and, Lord, our workplace, at our campuses, Lord Jesus, that we would step into this new dynamic that, that, Lord, yeah, we may have fear in our heart. We're wondering the process. We don't understand it all, but, Lord, would we just take a step towards you today and do this for your glory and for your kingdom and that, Lord, as we step into this new dynamic, we will see you as a personal Lord and Savior and we will see you show up in powerful and mighty ways through us as a church. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the many Lord, that are serving this church, that are serving week in and week out. And Lord, your word tells us that we would pray to the Lord of the harvest, send laborers. But Lord, not only that, but God, that we would, I want to just invite the laborers to enter into this new dynamic today and serve you, Lord, with the giftings that you have given to us. For Lord, we thank you for that, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said.